Good morning, Ranch Church. It's so good to be with you this morning. Um, I know I'm not the only one who's been blessed by the last few weeks of uh, online church. It's been a blessing. It's still new to me. I just told people here, it's odd speaking to the camera. It's, it's really odd. But I'm going to try anyways to share with you something that I think will challenge you to go deeper in God. Um, this is in many ways a family meeting. And for those who are joining us, you're curious about Christianity. You're going, what, what is this thing they're talking about? I hope to give you something equally that will challenge you, but will make you think. Now, it's that time of the year. Young people are graduating from university all around the world. Here in Manchester, some folks will be leaving us. Uh, they'll be getting a certificate that proves that they're authentic and real graduates. Um, on the certificate, probably it will say all the different things they've done to earn it. Perhaps, you know, all the courses they've done, the scores uh, they, they received. But you know, when we think about Jesus Christ and we think about relationship with him, we think about growing in God, th there is no graduation. We are always, always pressing on and growing. So three years after pursuing God, you don't get a certificate, you re-enroll. You keep on pursuing him, you keep on growing in him. So this family meeting is for everybody. Whether you've been in God for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, or you're just starting out, I wanna encourage you to leave shallow waters and to embrace the riches and the depths of being in deep relationship with God. So with that preamble done, I wanna show you through this next few minutes how, how expansive God is. Whether we look at Psalms 139, you can read it when you have time, or Romans 11, we are told about the riches, the depths of God's wisdom. And I, wanna, I really wanna build a hunger in us today to not be satisfied with where we are, but to really press into that depth and go, God, how do I have more of it? I want more of that depth. That's what I want to be your cry at the end of all of this. Now, probably we should start with where this sermon even came from. Well, speaking to a friend, he said something to me. He said, hey, Mike, do you know this person? For, for the sake of uh, uh, GDPR compliance, I won't tell you who they are. He said, do you know this person? And I said, yeah. And they said, she's a, and then they, they said to me, uh, she's a strong Christian. And I thought, yeah, that's normal. Then I, then I kind of thought about it. I said, well, why do we need to pre-modify Christian? I mean, what, what, what's this business about strong Christians, medium Christians, a hot Christian? I mean, it sounds like you're ordering Nando's. Why do we need to preamble and pre-modify? Something must be wrong. Maybe there's something about our understanding of Christianity that's changed that now we need to pre-modify. I'm sure you've used that before. And you, you mean it earnestly that this person's a really strong Christian. Well, if we look in the Bible and we look at the origins of this term, that wasn't really used. There were no pre-modifications. I mean, let's do it together. Let's start at Matthew. Matthew 16, 24 and 26. Here Jesus explains to us, firstly, what the precursor of Christianity will be. So, so he, he tells us, he says, pick up your cross and follow me. So the first metaphor used for being a Christian is death. I mean, that's, that's what a way to start, right? It, it, it's death. You fast forward to 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 9. Paul here is speaking about the temperament of Christians. And he talks about this, this resilience they're meant to have. They're meant to be struck down, but not destroyed. Pressed on all sides, but not crushed. Again, 
the temperament of Christians is meant to raise eyebrows. Now you jump over to Acts 9.29 and Paul is preaching to the, to, to the Hellenistic Jews and they're trying to put him to death whilst preaching, but still he carries on. Uh, in 2 Timothy 2.9, he tells us perhaps way more explicitly that because he believed the gospel, because he was a Christian, he faced imprisonment as a criminal, but he then says the word of God cannot be imprisoned. So, so Paul makes it clear that the impetus for suffering for him was the fact that he believed in Jesus. In Acts 7.54, we all know about Stephen, an early Christian who was stoned to death for believing in Jesus Christ. In Acts 4.20, <laughs> we're told of, of early preachers saying that we're being beaten, we're being threatened, but we cannot help but proclaim the gospel. People would look twice back in the days if, if you said you were a Christian. If you said, I believe in Jesus, I have a relationship with him, folks would go, whoa, 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 whoa. Because to say that was to say something radical. Now, notice, we haven't said anything here about strong Christians or powerful Christians. No, we've just said the word Christian. That word in and of itself meant something powerful. No pre-modifications, uh, uh, no gradations, just the term Christian. Now, if we look today at our modern culture, things have changed a little bit. If you tell people, I'm a Christian, you're more likely to hear, so am I, than, than anything else. I mean, I mean, everyone is. We, we are in an era of what I read online called coffee mug Christianity. Uh, this is where, you know, we like some quotes and, and, and you know, jumpers with scriptures on it and, 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 and consumerism has, has bled into the church such that now we are told something like 2.5 or 7 billion people are Christians. Now, I, I am not here to question whether those people are Christians. That's not my job. What I want to do is give us a, a, an observation I've seen from my life when I was young and growing in faith, but also for the people I spend a lot of time with. I think today, if, I, if everything I read out at the start shocks you a bit, you go, whoa, it's probably because what we're seeing in today's generation is a usurping of that genuine, deep, uh, 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 no, uh, rich Christianity with a, a shallow alternative. I want to give you a, a story that I think will make this point even clearer to you. Some of us will remember back in the days when we can go out, go into places like Butlins and, and uh, you know, the caravan parks and stuff like that. And you go there to let loose, to give the kids something to do because they keep complaining about being bored. And when you get there, there's, there's a lot of different experiences. You can have, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the safari experience. You can have the, the, the deep lagoon experience. I, I want to tell you about the, the, the deep lagoon experience because I went to one of these places once. So, so I want to tell you about the God Lagoon, because if you go to Butlins, there will be a lagoon experience, and, and, and it's in, in these resorts, it's, it's a place that's described as teeming with tropical fishes and, and rare green sea turtles. Of course, we know it's, 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 it's a, a pool, typically, with water being pumped into it and little ornaments put around it. Now, you go into this lagoon and you swim around and you're having this, this wonderful experience. But, but you know, at some stage, someone's going to tap you and tell you, it's not the real thing. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it can feel like the real thing. In fact, sometimes you can have some experience. I mean, you're in water. It feels like you're in the ocean, but it's not. It's a, it's a cheap substitute because in the lagoon, there are no jellyfishes. There are no sharks. 
Nothing that could cause you harm is in that lagoon. However, however, the resort still tells you this is just like the ocean. It's, it's the ocean, but, but just not quite there. I want to encourage us, right, to consider this and see how this may be a reflection on how we think about Christianity today. Perhaps it's the case that we have lots of people who are in this lagoon, but don't understand that it's a replacement for the real thing. Maybe what we have in modern culture is domesticated Christianity, engagement with a lesser deity. Maybe what we have is a golden calf in place of Yahweh. Maybe what we have is life that has some spiritual experiences, but cushioned from the real thing. My encouragement to us today is, are we willing to venture into the ocean? Are we willing to leave that lagoon? That, that experience and, and, and embrace something far more tumultuous, far more uh, 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 challenging, uh, far more scary, because what we're gonna gain on the other side is so much better. Now, <laughs> I know some of you are thinking, this is not for me, right? I'm not in the lagoon. I don't even like lagoons. Like it, 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 can't, it cannot be me, right? I am in the ocean. But what if I told you there's more? Remember what I said at the start. This is all about encouraging you to, 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 to pursue and to, and to look for more. So, so let, 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 let's go straight there. Now, one of the metaphors given for Christianity, again in Matthew 5, 14, is about light. Uh, you all know it. Uh, Matthew 5, 14 says, we are the light of the world. Uh, a town uh, built on a hill cannot be hidden. We as Christians were made to stand out. You've read that before. You've, you've, you've drank from a coffee mug with that on it. But you know, realizing you don't fit in is a good thing. It's a good thing, right? To be the light of the world. Uh, you, you weren't made to fit in. You were made to fulfill your calling in Christ. You were made to stand out. But it's not the same way the world stands out. Right? So we were made to stand out, but not quite in the same way. Well, what am I saying? Well, in the world, we're told to, to stand out by being somebody. You've got to be somebody. You've got to you know, get some, uh, some, 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 uh, some, some clout, as it were. You've got to build some, uh, some material possessions. You've got to really become somebody that people love and people want to be around. And that's how you're somebody. And we're told to be first. If you're not first, then you're last. And you've got to be first. Second place is it's just the first loser, I was told when I was young. And, and so, so, I know, that's crushing. It, it's, it's done with me, uh, Mr. Richards. He says it. He said it to me uh, in secondary school. And we're told these different things and we can internalize it even when we're adults. I've got to win. Life's about winning. I've got to be the top. Life's about being the top. But in Romans 12, we're told not to conform to the ways of the world, but to be renewed in our minds. So let's do that together. In today's world uh, where we're seeking worth, we're seeking to be liked, we're seeking to be wanted. It's something that naturally we all begin to yearn for. And whether we want to admit it or not, it's, it's, the culture forces us this way. It's really hard not to be somebody who wants other people to like them, to, to trust them, to, to respect them. But you know, if this is what the world is driven by, we cannot influence a culture if we're driven by the same things they're driven by. So, so God can't be telling us to, 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 to stand out in that same way. He's got to be telling us something slightly different. So then, how am I to stand out? What is being in this deep water? This, this guy is saying a lot of different things, but how, how does it all add up, right? 
How am I meant to stand out then, Mike? What does it mean to be in this deep water? How? How? Tell me. Well, in Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? He says, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes to first the Jew and then to the Gentiles. Hmm. That's interesting. Paul isn't ashamed of the gospel. Well, let, let, let's see how all these different loose ends tie together by observing a story in the Bible. It's tucked away neatly in Matthew. Uh, uh, well, John records it. The, the different synoptic gospels speak about it. And I think it really makes this point quite clear. L let's press in. It's the story of Joseph, Joseph from Arimathea. Joseph from Arimathea. Uh, it may be the first time some of us are hearing about him. Some of us may be familiar with him already. Wherever camp you're in, let's press into the story. Now, now, this is a man who's part of the Jewish Sanhedrin. This is a group of, of 70 people who governed the religious and many of the civic matters in early Israel. So, so here's a man um, who is part of, of, of a group of, uh, of a board. Think about it as a board of directors in the company. He holds a powerful position. He's got some weight, right? Now, you, you may not know or you may not remember, but the Sanhedrin were, were actually those who condemned Jesus to death. Right? So, 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 so Joseph from Arimathea, who the, uh, in, in the book of John 19, we learn was actually a disciple of Jesus. Not one of the main disciples, but he was one of the people who believed in Jesus. He was on this board, this board that condemned Jesus to die. He was on there. In John 19, uh, John 19, 38, here's what it says. After this, Joseph from Arimathea asked Pilate if he could take the, away the body of Jesus. Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one because he feared the Jewish authorities. I want us to stop there. We're, we're going to go through the story, but just, just focus on that last part. Here's a man who believes in Jesus, who, who trusts that Jesus is who he who says he is. He trusts that Jesus is the Messiah. He's on a board of directors. These directors are about to decide what's going to happen with Jesus and where he should speak up and go, no! I don't care about what, what I might lose. I've got to say something. The Bible says he was afraid. He was scared. A believer afraid. A believer scared. Well, can you empathize with him? Have you been in a position where taking a stand for Jesus felt like you would lose everything? Um, uh, have you been in a place where you knew if you... If you vocalize what you really thought, your values, your, you know, people may turn against you. You may lose everything you have. You may not be respected anymore. Have you been in that position? Can you empathize with him? I think a lot of us can empathize with him. But you know, because of his fear, he was paralyzed and he didn't speak up. He didn't say anything. I can imagine him overcome by that feeling of shame. I guess I'm just not a strong Christian, he might say. I guess I'm just not a powerful Christian. I'm, I'm not a bold Christian. I'm, you know, the domesticated type. I'm, you know, I believe in Jesus. It's me and him in my head. You know, doesn't, there's no material changes. But here's what's great about the story. It doesn't end there. Because if you keep on reading just a, a verse later, Pilate gives him permission to take the body of Jesus. So, so after Jesus dies, right, and the Sanhedrin condemn him to death and he dies, his followers go into hiding. In Mark 15, we learn that Joseph gathers up the courage. He goes, 
Mm, I've got to be a Christian. I've got to, uh, what I believe, what I trust, what I know has to turn into some action. Right? So, so he decides that I've got to do something. My belief has to lead me. I've got to take a stand. I've got to also not be ashamed of the gospel. So, so, so he works up the strength. He goes to Pilate and he asks for Jesus's body. He says, could I take Jesus's body so we can give him a, a proper burial? Let, let, let's, let's bury him properly. Now, why is this important? Well, if he didn't do that, Jesus's body typically, as was the custom then, would have been probably thrown out into the garbage and thrown out into a canal somewhere like was prop popularly done with people who were crucified. But he, he gives Jesus a proper burial. Why is that important? Well, because the majority of the proofs we have from about the bodily resurrection of Jesus comes from the fact that we could attend and see his body after he died. So Joseph's courage, there was so much tied to that courage. Him working up the courage after to ask for Jesus's body actually led to a lot of uh, the, the, the apologetic movement we see today is built on the fact that there's proof for Jesus's resurrection. There's proof that he, he, he came back from the dead. So, 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 so Joseph's story starts with fear and, 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 and just, just being afraid, but it ends with him being bold and being courageous and also not being ashamed of the gospel. My question to you today is, are you ashamed of the gospel? Can you say what Paul says? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not a domesticated Christian. I, I want to embrace the riches. I know standing out will put me in harm's way, but I'm willing to do so. I'm willing to tell people what I think at work. I'm willing to, to live a different life. I'm willing to forgive. I'm willing to do all these radical things that Christians are meant to do. I'm willing to add my name to that list this guy read out at the beginning in Acts and Matthew. I, I want to add my name there. Put my, slot me there, right? Sarah, Patrick, put me right there. I want to be a bold, radical Christian too. Now, Paul says he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. Ask yourself, why is he not ashamed of the gospel? I mean, is it because the gospel made him popular? Well, <laughs> no. He says that explicitly in 2 Corinthians. Is it because the gospel won him favor with lots of friends? Well, no, he, he explained that that's not why I'm not ashamed. Is it because the gospel meant that his life was all roses and really fun? No, and I'm gonna read to you what he says concerning that. In 2 Corinthians 11, he's speaking to the church in Corinth here, 23 to 26, here's what it says, here's what he says. Because I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, because I am a Christian, right? I have been in far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. I mean, you, you ask yourself, who's counting all these times? Anyways, right? Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers amongst false brethren. His trust and belief and following Jesus Christ led him directly into the path of danger. That's what believing the gospel did. It, it meant his life was, was, was dangerous because he put himself out there. 
He put himself out there. This is, this is important. So, so, so the gospel then didn't make him popular or gain him friends. It actually made life a bit more difficult. So then, did, does it make sense for him to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? I mean, I mean ask yourself, how, why is he not then ashamed of the gospel? I think I know why. This is one of the reasons that I'm helpful because Jesus makes it clear for us as well. You'll remember that in Hebrews 12, we learned that because of the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame, right? Right? And he sat down at the right hand of the, of the Father. So, so in a Christian's life, shame is to be used. Shame has utility, right? What, what do I mean by this? Well, shame has this ability of stripping us away from all the earthly support that we cling on to. It's what it did in Jesus' life. Shame stripped him off all that stuff, right? Shame allowed him to pursue the depths of knowing, like Jesus, Paul. When he, when he embraced that shame, when he, when he took it, it stripped him of the earthly support, right? right? Why? Because his friends, they left him in shame and abandonment. How, 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 how was he able to do this? Well, Jesus did it first. Jesus was left on the cross, right? Naked on the cross. Because, because that shame, it, 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 it gave, uh, it moved friends away from him such that he was left alone. You know, the, his reputation gave way in shame and slander. Uh, uh, his health, his wealth, it, it gave way to shame and torture. So in a, in a believer's life, Shame has this wonderful ability of just stripping us and making us just lighter. Now, if we're going to pursue these depths that we're speaking about, if we're going to pursue and, and get in and, and, and really start to uncover the riches we're talking about in God, well, we have to embrace the shame. So when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, ironically, what he's saying is, I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God and salvation. So because of what's on the other side, the shame, it, 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 does, it, it does its work in me, right? Now, if we are going to pursue depth in God, we've got to be willing to move past this shame. First John 2, 15, the Bible says, do not love the world or the things in the world, because if you love the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in you. The point there is, the more attached you are to the system, the more you have all these different shackles chained to the, the natural order of doing things, the more difficult it is for you to really pursue the depth and the riches God has for you. So what I'm calling us to is to shed weight. In what way have you started caring too much way too deeply about what people think? In what way have you attached yourself to, to the rat race everyone else is on for more, more, bigger bonds, bigger places, bigger things? In what way are you trying to climb the corporate ladder and that's the only climb in your life that matters? In what way have we started to live a domesticated, a simple, a convenient Christianity? In what way are we foregoing that ocean and sitting down in the lagoon and saying, this is all right, this is fine. I mean, I go to church and I help people where I can. In what way have you started to ask yourself, what's the least I can do to get away with it? Rather than how do I give God everything I have? I remember taking uh, science. I mean, I didn't have a choice. Science was compulsory in, in, uh, in secondary school. 
And, I, and, I, and, and what I told myself when I first got into my science class and I met my teacher, Mr. Jones, we did not get along. I like kind of funny teachers. He wasn't funny. He was very boring. So, so in my head, I told myself, what's the least I need to do to pass this class? Now, we've all been there before. We just go, I just need to get through. You know, the Christian journey isn't what's the least I can do. The Bible is a doing flawed, not ceiling. You ask yourself, where did Paul end and where do I start? Not what did he do and how do I just do that and I'll be okay. Uh, Jesus encourages us that we'll be able to do more because you're meant to ask yourself, where did Jesus end? Okay, I'll pick up, let's go. You're asking, how do I give everything? How do I serve God with my mind, my body, my money? That's what Christians who live in the deep ocean do. They ask God, how can you use all of me for your glory? They don't say, how do I have a bit? How do I do the bare minimum? My encouragement to us, irrespective of our age and depth and, and relationship with Christ is, how do I have more? How do I press into more? How do I have a single focus? How do I put all my eggs in one basket? How do I leave that shallow thing for the deep thing? That's what I'm pressing us into. Oh, sorry, that's what I'm trying to push us into. We've got to press into the deep. Now, what does a single, single focus look like in a, in a person's life? When we're single-minded and focused on God, what does it look like? What does it look like to be in the depth, this, this, this deep ocean? What does, it look, what does it look like to be there? Well, I think a good metaphor can be found in, Matthew, uh, sorry, in Psalm 73. The Psalm's a good place to, to, to hear about these different things. In Psalms uh, 73, 25 to 26, we, we learned something that for me changed my life when I was growing up. I'll read it to us and then I'll tell us about the application. In Psalms 73, 25, here's what it says. The psalmist is speaking. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? He says, and on earth, there's nothing I desire besides you. 26 says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now, this just sounds, you might think it's just a psalm, Mike. What's this got to do with this? Well, this, this was transformative for me growing up. I'll tell you why it was transformative, because I was a school dinners kid. And for some people may know that, for our international cousins, some of us weren't from rich families. And as such, the, the, the school would give us a, a little token, and that token would dictate what we got at lunch in the cafeteria or the lunch hall. <laughs> right. And when I was young, I would get uh, you know, a tray, and I would get in line to get my food for lunch, right? And... A guy would be in front of me and, you know, he had maybe a more affluent family and he would get, can I have some baked beans? Can I get some, uh, some, uh, some potatoes? Can I get some broccoli? And, you know, before you knew it, his plate was full and he would walk away and then I'd be like, it's my turn next, my turn. And I would get to, and the, and the lunch lady would go, so Mike, what do you want? And I go, well, can I get some broccoli as well? And she would go, sorry, like your school dinner's kid. Your, 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 um, your, your token doesn't cover that. I'd go, gosh, that sucks. Um, well, can I get some sweet corn? I go, no, sorry, you can't have that. And very soon I get frustrated going, come on, like, what can I have then? And she goes, well, I'll tell you what, I've got, I've got some new thing I want to offer you. So she goes to the back, she gets out this big bucket and on it, it says Jesus. And she puts a spoon in it and she scoops out a, a, a big spoon of Jesus and she pours it on my plate. And I'm like, 
Nah, I don't, <laughs> don't want this. <laughs> this is, this is, this is, I don't want this. I mean, I want the broccoli. Can I have the broccoli? She goes, no, you get Jesus. And I go, come on. Okay, so I take the plate and I'm angry. I'm kind of sad and annoyed. So I get to my to the desk and I'm sitting down and, and my friends are taunting me. I, you know, you know what kids do? Oh, you, you don't have this, you don't have this. And I'm sat there with this, this, this plate of Jesus and I'm just angry and tired because I didn't get to have what the other people have. But everything changes when I taste it. I put my spoon and I taste it and I go, whoa, <laughs> this is amazing. I don't want anything else. And the other kids are like, Mike, I'm not, I'm fine. I've got my portion. What I need has been given to me and everything else, I, I don't even, in fact, I start telling them, you've got to taste what I have here. And they go, well, Mike, mine looks better. I say, yeah, it may look better, but you've got to taste and see how good this is. You, you, you know, when God says <laughs> that, that, that I will fill you up, such that you won't have enough room to contain me, what he is saying there is, I am so good. I, I am so beautiful to behold, to know, to have a relationship with. That the, the minute you, you fall into that relationship, everything changes and you get happy with that as your portion. So why is the psalmist here saying that God is my portion? Well, he's saying, I'm happy with just him. And that's what it looks like to have this single-minded focus, to take a stand. When you know you're full, when you've been given everything you need, nothing else is appealing. So what I say to people is, when people then say, well, Mike, don't you want to try out this meal? I go, no, I'm full. Well, Mike, what about success? And what about, mm, I'm full. Oh, come on, but don't you want more friends, family? Don't you want people to like you? No, I'm full. A Christian is full, not a strong Christian is full, or a powerful Christian, or a pastor, no, a Christian is full. They've had their portion and they're satisfied with it. So my encouragement and my invitation to us who may think, you know what, this guy's talking about me. I have been living a domesticated Christianity. I've been logging onto e-church or online church, logging off and just carrying on. And that's really all I've been doing. And, and I make excuses, you know, it's, it's lockdown season. I just watch a sermon and move on. You've been thinking, how do I do the bare minimum just to stay part of the community? Well, my encouragement to you is, empowered by the Holy Spirit, you can go deeper. You can go deep. You can read more. You can study more. You can give more. You can love more. You can go deeper. You've got to go deeper. It's for your own benefit that you go deeper. Because the more you taste it, the better it tastes. You've got to go deeper. And if you're on the side and you're thinking, well, this sounds interesting. This sounds really interesting. These Christians are talking about being you know, raising eyebrows, you know, uh, being full, uh, saying no to what the world has to offer and, and chasing only what God. I mean, this sounds interesting. You think, I, I want a part of this. You feel right now listening that God is doing something in your heart. You know, something feels different. You're, you're going, I want to know this Jesus guy that offers food such that I'll never go hungry again, that, that offers drinks such that I may never go thirsty again. I'm tired of drinking from all these other things. I want something else, right? I've tried lots of other things, but I'm still hungry. I want something far more real. Well, you're in luck because Jesus was looking for you before you started feeling this. He, he's been waiting for you. In fact, he could have orchestrated you getting this link, <laughs> you know, you switching on 
just so you can hear that he has a plan for your life. That, that he knew you before your mum did. That, that he formed you and he's got a plan for you. So I want to pray with you. If you're on that, if, if that's you, you're thinking, I, I really want to get to know some of this thing this guy's talking about. I want to believe. I, I want to trust in Jesus. I want to, I want to get to know him. I want to pray for you. Because, because the invitation is for you too. So wherever you are right now, you can lift up your hands, you can bow your heads, whatever works for you. You, you. you just get into a place where you can be centered and you can focus on these words. Father, I, I thank you for everyone who's listening to me now. I thank you for, particularly for that man, that woman, that boy, that girl who thinks, you know, I really want to know you. I really want to know you. God, I know that you, you, you desired and you wanted and, you, and, and you've been drawing them to you far before they even started thinking about it. God, you have plans for the life of everyone listening. So for everyone who doesn't know you, who, who wants to work out what that plan is, what, what does it mean to be in relationship with God? Everyone who knows that they can't do it by themselves and they've tried to other different means to be satisfied and still it's not enough. God, God I pray for such a person that you would receive them now, God that you would indwell them with the Holy Spirit, that you would gift them with your very presence, God, and they would start to see things differently, that they would become born again, that they would be born of the Spirit, God, that you would, that you would put yourself so, 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 so tangibly in their lives, that they would know that something has changed. Father, I pray that you would give them the grace to find community, to be around like-minded folks. You would encourage them. Father, I welcome them into your family. They are, they are, they are next of kin. They, they, they are one of us, God. So we welcome them in. And God, I pray for every single member of Ram Church who wants more of you, who wants to know you more, who wants to leave that domesticated coffee mug Christianity. Or those who, yeah, they have been chasing you, but, they, but maybe they've, they, they've, they've lessened the intensity in the last few months. Because let's be honest, there's so many different things happening that's taking our attention away from you. Well, God, let this moment, let this time be a recalibration such that everyone listening now would suddenly found, find the impetus again, find the drive, the passion again to go, I want more. I want to be in the ocean. I don't want a, a weird uh, replacement. I want the ocean. I want to I wanna journey with Christ. I want to be on an adventure with the Holy Spirit. May that be our portion. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.